have a first-time scripture reading with us today. This is one of our resident Awana superstars. And so could you please welcome her to the thrust stage to read the scriptures? So I need you right about here. Okay, just take one step forward. And she is a little nervous, right? She's got it, right? So here's what I need, because we're going to be reading the scriptures today. The word of the Lord never returns void. And so the words that she speaks are the timeless truth of who God is and what God has said. And so today, just be, let's encourage one another within this passage today. Are you ready? Thank you. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us light tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Did you want to do it again? No? Okay. Thank you. Can we thank her one more time for reading? Thank you. I tell you what, it is such a gift to have a generational church. Is that me? Is that me? Okay. It is such a gift to have a generational church. Amen? Amen. I think sometimes there's this, there's this allure of like, hey, you know, if we just had, you know, more young people or more established people or more kids or more students or more seniors or whatever, like there's this idea of like, hey, if we could just have a church for us instead of a church of us. And I just feel so blessed to be a part of a church with generational wisdom, but the youth that is excited to pioneer into what's next. What a gift it is, this church, amen? So glad you're here today, so glad you're here. Um, just a couple quick things. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is David. I'm one of your pastors here. So excited to be sharing from the scriptures today. Um, last week, Tony, where's Tony? Is Tony, where are you? Harry and Tony? Are they somewhere else? Tony, okay. You told me last week to remind you to get your pledge for Heart for the House in. Do you remember? And you even said, remind me from the stage. So here I am. I'm singling you out, and I'm saying, if you can, if you haven't, we have these uh, pledge cards that were out on chairs. We can also do it online through the website. We are doing a full remodel of our lobby to help create more conducive spaces for gathering and lingering. And last week, y'all really came in. So thank you so much for your pledges. Um, if you haven't pledged yet, I just encourage you, pledge something. I don't care what it is. Uh, but, but if you can participate in this project, we really believe that it's necessary for us to continue to reach our community in the name of Jesus. And so get your pledge in. You can drop it off at any offering box or online. You can make that, that pledge, and, um, and we can go from there. 
So Tony, you feeling good? You're feeling good. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so I feel, James, I feel like I am in a cave. But I feel good about the cave, you know? It feels good. Thank you, James. Um, today, we are starting a new extended series here about the practice of faithfulness. The practice of living out our faith. And the, and the series is called Let Me Explain, as you can now see. Let me explain why we do what we do the way we do. Why we do what we do the way we do. But before we get into it, I just have a quick question for you. Has anyone here ever stepped into a place or a moment or a season or a location or something that, that caused you to just pause for a moment and say, what do I do now? What in the world is happening? How am I supposed to engage with this? Whether it's, you know, someone um, dropping their kids off to, to, to school for the first time and you don't know how the, like, the drive-up situation works or you start a new job and you have to address to a new work culture or you go to a new restaurant and you don't really understand the menu or how to order or like last night, Rebecca and I, we went on a date, praise the Lord, exploring Los Angeles. We went down to the, the fashion and arts district um, it's called Little Tokyo, and we were just driving around, and, and as we were driving, we were like, where do we park? We don't know where to park. Now it's nice out, and everyone is driving around everywhere, and so we're trying to figure out where to go. You know where we parked? A church parking lot. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. Those cars were protected. <laughs> There's nothing worse than not knowing what to do or how to be or why. It reminds me of a couple uh, compounding moments I've experienced, all of which happened when I was traveling outside the country. Uh, maybe you can relate. First, uh, when I was in college, my dad lined up an internship for me in London, and I didn't really know the full extent of it, but I was interning at this church, this world-changing church in, in the heart of London, and I was invited to go there, and I was like, yes, this is going to be awesome. I don't really know what I'm going to do there, but I'm going to do it. So I got on the flight, I made my way over, got off the plane, went to try to get my luggage, but before you could get your luggage, you had to go through something called customs. I had no idea what this customs was, and so as I was on my way to the baggage claim, I kind of got herded into a line where I walked up to this little cube full of plexiglass to which the customs agent says, do you have anything to declare? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, okay, um, well, um, what are you going to be doing while you're here in England? And I said, I just need to be honest, because I didn't know the full extent of the internship, right? So I just, I, I just got to be honest. I don't really know what I'm going to do here. And he says, okay, um, well, where are you going to stay? And at this point, the church was putting me up, and they hadn't sent me where I was going to stay yet. And so I said to this customs agent, um, I, I said, well, I'm just going to be really honest with you. I don't know where I'm staying. And he looked at me, and God bless him, he just said, sir, let me explain how this works. I don't know why they ever let me into the country. Anyway, so a couple years after that, I, um, 
I made my way into the Dominican Republic, and some of you have already heard me telling this trip. I went with Compassion International to go and see the work they were doing there. And this time, having already traveled internationally, I understood customs, okay? And so I got off the plane, I went right through, no problems, make my way to the hotel, and everything is great. And the, the hotel is like something we'd experience in downtown Pasadena. It was a great place, everything was normal, until I walked into the bathroom. And as soon as I walk into the bathroom, what do I see? I see this giant, imposing trash can right next to the toilet. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? And so the next day I walk down into the lobby and the, the, the host that was traveling with us, uh, he heard me saying, talking about this trash can and he goes, oh, let me explain. He said, the, the, the plumbing in the Dominican isn't really equipped to, to travel all that toilet paper down into the sewers. And so when you go, use the trash can. And I said, what? When I use the, he goes, see. I said, okay. So when I, just to confirm, when I'm, use the trash can. Use the trash can. And I was thinking, this feels so foreign. I don't know if anyone's ever traveled internationally like that, but it felt like a whole nother world. Now, the last example that really hit home for me. It happened a couple years ago when I spent some time in Sweden. Now, I was a pro at customs, right? No problems. Cruise right through, past immigration, whatever. And then um, I make it to the hotel, no giant trash can next to the toilet. This is, a, this is a win. I feel really good about it. Next day, we make our way to the church. I was there to present uh, at a church planting conference. And so, um, we get there, settle in. It's a church that feels like this. It's wonderful. Music, singing, screens with words, the band videos. It was just a normal church experience for me. That is until about 30 minutes in. 30 minutes in when the pastor should have been getting up to deliver the message, right? It's, it's that 30-minute mark. But instead, the host gets back up. It's like Jeff walking back up, and he's like, he's like, okay, everybody. It's time for Fika. And I'm like, what? And so I look to my, my, my neighbor, and everyone at this point is standing up, shouting, excited, it's Fika time. And I'm like, what is, what is Fika? And so I look over to my neighbor, and he says, oh, 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 let me explain. He says, in Sweden, in Sweden, there's a daily mid-morning and mid-afternoon break that pretty much the whole country takes, and they've called it Fika. I said, okay, and he said, everyone stops working, or whatever they're doing, they pause their day and take a few minutes to grab a coffee and a little cinnamon roll. Who enjoyed their little cinnamon rolls today? You just had Fika in the house of the Lord. How are you feeling? You feeling good? So they, they grab a coffee, they grab a little cinnamon roll, and, and they reflect on the good things of life, just like we did a few minutes ago. So I'm like, I look at this guy, I said, so wait a second, every day, twice a day, you take a break for a coffee and pastries? I'm like, sign me up, I'm moving to Sweden. We're all going to Sweden, let's make our way. What am I getting at? I'd never been to England. I didn't understand what to do. I've never been to the Dominican. I didn't understand what to do. I'd never been to Sweden. I did not understand what to do. I needed someone to explain 
to me what was happening over there because I wasn't from there. And this is, this is it, bringing it all back around because we're at, we're at church today. In the same way that these moments over there felt foreign to me, for the vast majority of the world, what's happening in here, it feels foreign for them. And while we might not always see it because we're in it, just like that giant trash can next to the toilet, friends, it's, it's vital that we understand how foreign what we do here, how, how different and how new and how strange the church and what we do is for the majority of the world. Now you might be thinking, come on, pastor. Everyone knows what it's like to go to church. Come on, pastor. It's what we do here. We go to church. But just a couple quick stats for you. For the number crunchers in the room, there are more than 18 million people in the greater Los Angeles area. The second largest gathering of people in the country. There are 10 million people in LA County alone. And out of those 10 million people, the stats say, the newest stat from the, the Pew Research Survey is that roughly 18% of those claim to be evangelical Christians. Not too bad. Not too bad. That's 1.8 million evangelical Christians in, in L.A. County. That's decent. Anybody want to guess how many of those are actively part of a church? At best, 27%. That's the number. 1.8 million. 27% of 1.8 million are going to church. And you're thinking, well, okay. Okay, 27% of professing Christians go to church in L.A., which brings it back to the whole, where we have in our city, in our county, less than 5% of our, of our friends, of our family, less than 5% of the people that live here exist in a faith community regularly. And I would say that's probably being generous. It's probably 5% on Christmas and Easter. So listen, what we're doing here today, while it makes sense to us because it's church, we come and we sing, you know, we read, we hang out, we pray for one another, we listen to a message, we do all these things because it's church. What we do here, though, to those outside, it likely carries no significant cultural understanding at all. What we do for those outside the church, for the 95% of people in our area, our friends again, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, the barista at Starbucks, the guy who fixes your brakes on your car, the teacher at your kid's school, the guy who installs cable internet at your house, what we do in here can literally feel like going to a foreign country. It can feel like going to a foreign country country, which if you think about it, that tracks. That actually makes sense. Because the Bible says we actually kind of are a foreign country. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that once you give your life to Jesus, you don't belong to this world anymore. No, this kingdom of faith is now your home country. Isn't that beautiful? The kingdom of faith is now your home country. Philippians 3 says this in verse 20, that, that we are citizens of heaven if you have given your life to Jesus, if you, are, if you have been bought by his blood and carried out of your grave with him, with the resurrection, if you are one of his people, if you are following Jesus, then you are a citizen of heaven. Our culture and our customs are that of heaven now. 
where the Lord Jesus lives. Friends, we are a colony of heaven here in the midst of L.A. County. The kingdom of God is our home country. It's where we belong. So what we do should be different. And it should feel different because we are different. But this means, this means that we must be ready to explain. This, must, this means that we must be ready to explain. Let me explain not only what we do, but also why we do what we do the way that we do it. Which is why we're committing the next extended series of this church to just talking about what it is that we do and why. To come to a more complete understanding and to get us all on the same page. Because yes, it might feel normal to us. It might feel really normal to us, especially if we grew up in the church. But for everyone else, they might need a little explanation. So as we begin today, we're just going to be talking about the basics of why we're even here. I think some of us have been here so long that we just like, oh yeah, it's what we do. It's Sunday. I get up and I go to church. But for the world who has no interest in even understanding why, it's important that we're able to explain. So let me explain to God's house on this beautiful Sunday morning. Let me explain why we go to church. Not why you go to church. We all have different motivations for why we step through these doors today. But why do we as Christians gather every Sunday and, and sometimes more? And why this is an essential part of who we are now as God's people, an essential part of our faith? Let me explain. So in a world of endless options, where 90, again, 95%, isn't that staggering? 95% of our city goes to brunch or sleeps in or escapes to the cabin or is called into work. Why do we go to church? Why does the church all over the world gather every week? Why? If you're taking notes, lots of little details coming at you. The long and short of it is because God tells you to. Yeah, why? We'll get to that. But the long and short of why we gather for church is because God told us to. We heard this a moment ago in our full scripture reader from Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, let, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And this is it. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This is the expectation that God has set up for his people. Inherited from the Jewish temple system before us, this is the expectation that they would assemble, God's people would gather regularly, that they would not neglect meeting together. This is the expectation from the beginning. And we see it practiced all throughout the scriptures, but specifically with such incredible devotion and faithfulness that absolutely inspires me in the book of Acts. Chapter two, if you have your Bibles, follow me, Acts two. Now, if you're new to the church, the book of Acts is essentially the origin story of the church. It's how we began, and it picks up right after Jesus, uh, he dies and he rises again, and then he gives some imparting instructions for his people, then he takes off for heaven, and, and so it picks up here as the church, God's people are waiting for direction. They're waiting for the arrival of the Holy Spirit that comes at Pentecost and fills them with power. And after that happens, it says they begin preaching. 
So Jesus is here, he dies, he rises again, he gives us some direction, and then he takes off. The Holy Spirit comes down, and it fills his people with power to then go and share good news, to preach the gospel of what, what Jesus did and who Jesus is and what God is doing. And it says that first day in Acts chapter 2, it says in verse 41, that those who believed what Peter said, the message about Jesus... They were baptized and added to the church that day, 3,000 in all, and this is the birth of the church. This is like the origin story that we all look back on with such fondness. Now from there, as they began this new thing called church, out of Acts 2, 41, it's, uh, it says that a new culture began to form. Customs, customs, began to form with norms and disciplines and language and priorities and practices, a culture that formed that still defines us and brings focus to us as his church today. And we see this culture in verse 42. This is so amazing. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together. They met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple, what does that say? Each day. For anyone in the room who's thinking Sundays are a bit too much, they went to the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And this is why. This is why we go to church. First, because God told us to. There it is. But practically, we here, we go to church and we regularly assemble as followers of Jesus to practice these essentials that were laid out for us in Acts chapter 2. We go to church for baptism. Has anyone here been baptized? Good Baptist church. Here we go. The hands are up. We go to church for baptism. We go to church to study the scriptures. We go to church for communion, for the Lord's Supper. We just took this together. We take it every week. In a couple weeks, we'll tell you why. We go to church to care for the poor. We go to church to worship and to sing. We go to church to pray with one another and for one another. We go to church to learn through the preaching of God's word to God's people. We go to church to give and support the work of God in, in this place, in this colony of heaven. We assemble to find a place to belong and a place to become. This is why the church gathers. It's not to check a box. It's not to feel good about yourself. It's not to make your parents happy or to make your kids moral. The church gathers, Hebrews 10, the church gathers to hold tight without wavering to the hope they affirm. The church gathers to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And most importantly, the church gathers to encourage one another along the way. To encourage one another. This is why we do what we do. And, and, and I don't know about you, but for me, I, I grew up, and this was not taught to me at all. This was something I just instinctively assumed. But I grew up 
with a slightly different understanding of why I went to church. My assumption was pretty much that going to church was for me. That it was for me, it was about me improving or growing or maturing or developing. So I would go with the mindset of what did I get out of it? I wonder if anyone has ever said that. Never. I would go with the mindset of what did I get out of it? And I would critique the entire experience based on how I felt at the end. Yikes, right? If I liked the music that day, if they sang my songs, if the preaching spoke to me, if the community recognized me and was friendly, if the flow of service was clean, if the sound was good, then church was good. Church was good. It was about me and my expectations and my preferences and my feelings. I wonder if anyone else has ever approached a Sunday morning from your own vantage point. I wonder if anyone here has ever thought, man, church was really good for me today. But I just want to tell you, like, when I look at the, at the scriptures, when I look at the culture here in Acts chapter 2 and Hebrews 10, it seems to reveal that church has far less to do with me and what I get out of it and far more to do with we and what we can all give into it. That we gather together, not for ourselves, but for one another. This is Acts 2. But why? Why would this be the expectation? Let me explain. It's because the culture of heaven, the culture of God's kingdom in this colony of heaven called the church, the culture is rooted and established in humility. It's in humility because we follow a God that came to earth not for what he could get, but for what he could give. And he creates this clarity of expectation in Matthew chapter 20 when he's talking to his disciples. This is toward the end of his ministry. Matthew 20, it'll be on the screen. It says this, Then Jesus called them, his disciples, together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. I'm going to say it again. Among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Why? Verse 28, for even the Son of Man, even God incarnate, who made his way from heaven to earth, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So friends, why do we go to church? We go to church to serve. We go to serve. To, to encourage. We go to church to build each other up. We go to church to love one another. We go to church to pray for one another. We go to church to submit to one another and sing over one another and give toward the needs of others. And while it's great to enjoy the music, I want you to enjoy the music. I love the music. I want it to sound awesome. I want this church to be the hub of all creativity in all Los Angeles County. It should be. We have the creator God with us. So while it's true that I want you to enjoy the music and, and enjoy the service or feel like a sermon meets you or, or that you feel fed at the end of the message, 
The scriptures seem to say that going to church isn't about us at all. The, script, the, the church is us. The scriptures seem to say, Jesus seems to say that, that the church is not for us to get what we want, but rather it's for us to serve and encourage one another together. And this is why we assemble. This is why we show up, one more time, not to flex our opinions or our, our, our preferences or demands, but instead to approach the presence of God. This is Hebrews 10. Instead to approach the presence of God with sincerity. Sincerity and humility to learn and grow. Jesus be with them. <laughs> to learn and grow and become more together. Not just for us, but for one another. And it's because of this why that it's not about us. We talk about this a lot over the past three years. It's not about us. It's, it's about us. That's why it's so important that we're actually here regularly. Because this family needs you. I was meeting with someone this past week, and they were saying, if the church is a body, and we've got hands sitting at home, and legs going to the beach, and we've got heads coming in, we're a dead body. And I was like, whoa, that is, that's heavy. But it's true. Now, please don't hear me say this as a guilt trip, because y'all, the church... Please don't hear me say this as a guilt trip, but the church is not intended to be an add-on to your life. It's not meant to be an optional thing that you attend when it's convenient. The church is you. It's us. It's all of us together. And so when you're not here, we are, in a, we are experiencing an incomplete community. And you are not experiencing the fullness of what God actually has for you. And listen, I get it. Life is busy. Things come up. No doubt. Full transparency. Next week, Rebecca and I are gone, okay? <laughs> oh, boy. We're, on a, we're going to a wedding, okay? So we'll still be at church, but... But listen, God's heart for us, for his church, is that we would be a faithful, consistent, covenant community that would choose to live and love like he does together. As a family. As a body that we would be devoted to one another, Acts chapter two, that we would know each other and love each other, but y'all, that cannot happen as part-time, on again, off again, depending on if it's feeding me to make me feel good church attenders. God wants so much more for us, and I know you do too. Y'all are amazing. This isn't for you, this is for everyone. I'm not coming at you, I'm just explaining. I'm just here to explain that we have to choose to make this family of faith a priority. Why? First, because God told us to. Second, it's because it's just what God's people do. And as the 5%, we are the 5%. Woo! As the 5% thinking about the 95, friends, why would they have any interest in what we say and believe? Why would they want to visit this foreign country if we only show up 27% of the time. When it's, when it feels good, when it's convenient. And I'm not trying to make this legalistic. I'm not trying to say we can't miss a Sunday. Of course we can. But it's my prayer for us. And I know that you already feel this. 
It's my prayer for us that, that we would make gathering a priority. That we would choose to make going to church, going to church as an anchor for our weeks, just like the historic church has for more than 2,000 years. You know, I was, I was driving on my way to church today. I stopped by Starbucks, and the guy handed me some coffee, and he says, hey, what, what are you up to this morning? And I said, I'm going to church. And he looks at me like, what? <laughs> like, why would you go to, why would you spend your Sunday morning? Because God told me to. Because God told me to. And it's what God's people do. When the realities of life consume us with urgency, and I know they can, when the realities of life consume us with urgency, church is the anchor for God's people to remind us of what's truly important. And this is why we do what we do. This is why we go to church. But, okay, all that said, there are a lot of churches um, all over the world and all over Southern California that gather and do things, and they do things differently. Some of you have come from different churches, and you show up, and you're thinking, why in the world do they do it like that? Well, let me, let me explain quickly, specifically for us, not just why we do what we do, but why we do it the way we do it. So if you didn't know, we gather here in this space on the corner of Community and La Crescenta because 75 years ago, a church was formed that had a dream to reach this city. And for 75 years, this church has gathered here in pursuit of this dream. We are living in the legacy of their faithfulness. You are sitting in the seat of their sacrifice. And we are the future of what God will do next. As we meet on Sundays for church, why do we meet on Sundays for church? Well, let me explain. Let me explain, because there's churches that meet all, all over the time. Why, why do we meet on Sundays? Well, it's to help us remember and align our hearts with what Pastor Jeff was saying earlier, with the resurrection of Jesus. Good Friday, he died. Sunday, he rose again. And so we, as people of the resurrection, we gather on Sundays, just like the majority of churches across the past 2,000 years all over the world, we do it to focus our hearts and minds back on, back on this reason and this reality. So we meet on Sundays. Now practically, we gather at 10 o'clock. We used to gather at 10.45. I'm sure there were multiple services at one point. So why do we gather at 10 a.m.? Well, first of all, it allows us time to prepare before, to gather before. Who's in a class or a group that meets before Sunday service? Good. There's time before we gather and prepare. The worship team rehearses. Time to hang out and chill, grab some coffee and donuts, whatever. But it also allows us time during the service to take our time in worship and in prayer and fellowship. Fika! And all the practices in Acts 2 without feeling a rush to take off. It also then allows us time after the service to hang out and to linger and waste time together and before we head off for lunch or go home. 10 a.m., that's why. And while we're here, we have traditional seating and contemporary seating. Why would we ever do that? Let me explain. I know that um, during COVID and when we were kind of locked down and all feeling the effects of that, you know, we, we cleared out some pews and we started setting up in the middle of the room to film worship. And then once we gathered again, we thought, man, wouldn't it be nice to be able to have some traditional seating and some contemporary seating? 
And, and so anyone who comes in, they might feel at home when finding a place to sit. Because friends, it's likely that 95% of everyone 10 miles around us has never sat in a pew before. 95% of LA County has never sat in a pew, but it's safe to say that 100% of them have sat in a chair. <laughs> so we have both. Because with all the new, all the different, all the strange and foreign things that they might walk into here, we don't want where someone sits to be a problem. And there's so much more. Why we sing the way we do, why we take communion the way they do, why we, why we read from this translation. There's so many different things that we'll be explaining over the next few months, all of which we all probably have some questions about or opinions about or concerns about or we're like, hey, pastor, were you thinking when you painted the wall black? What are you doing? I get it. This is your house. This is your family. I want you to feel at home. I want, to, I want you to feel like this is your house. I, I get that. So stick around throughout this series because it's going to be amazing. Stick around because it's our prayer that as we dig into these things, as we talk about why we do what we do the way we do, it, that we would all come to a fuller understanding for what it means to be this church, not just the church, but this church. And not just so you can feel better about um, some of the ways that we're approaching things, but so that you can help explain let me explain so you can explain. We're the 5%. Let's make it six. You know, I heard um, off, off subject, I heard that there was um, uh, a study done, a, so a sociological study that said once a culture hits 10% of the community, it's able to shape values and behaviors and bring influence without legislation. Isn't that interesting? I think so often we're like, man, if we could just pass the right laws to prevent people from doing the wrong things. But listen, if we, as the 5%, if we were able to creep to six and seven and eight, we don't need legislation to bring change. We bring change because we are the change. Friends, we need to explain to a world that has no reference and most likely no interest in exploring this foreign land of faith, we need to explain the good news that we have found. So it's up to us as the five to anticipate what might be confusing for the 95, to translate, honestly, to translate for what might be misunderstood, to identify those metaphorical trash cans next to the toilet, right? We can't expect the world to just figure it out. It's up to us, as a colony of heaven on earth, to extend a thoughtful, humble, sincere, and compelling invitation to come and see what God is like. And again, if we're not here regularly, we can't expect the world to have any interest in showing up. So, friends, let us, let us be a church that shows up, that makes gathering together in Jesus' name a priority and an anchor for our week. Amen? Amen. Mm, that sounds good. Let us be a church that shows up 
with glad and sincere hearts, ready and willing to serve and encourage and learn and pray and lift up one another. Amen? Amen. And one more. I need this. this is really good. This is a really good one. I need to hear the loudest amen. Finally, let us be a church that shows up ready to explain why Jesus and faith and fellowship matter to a world without in a language they can understand. And the church said, Amen. amen. Well, as we close this week, let me explain what comes next. We're going to take a minute to pray as the five for the 95. We're going to take a minute to pray for the 95, for those seeking and searching, for those waiting and wondering, for, friends, the 9.5 million people in our area without hope, without vision for the future. Let's take a minute to, to appeal to God to beg God that, they would, that he would open their eyes and draw them back to himself. And even specifically, friends, I just want you to think about all the people that you see every day and all the people without hope in the 95. As the five, think about the 95 in your own life. Picture their faces right now. Picture their faces as we pray, that God would open their eyes, that God would soften their heart, that God would meet them that God would draw them, that we might be the explanation they need. That we might say, let me explain. So pray with me. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe that you're real, that you're good, that you love us, and you lead to peace. As the 5%, God, we ask that you would meet the 95% today. On the road, in their homes, over coffee, at the beach, walking through Disneyland, whatever it might be, God, that you would stop them even now. Stop them and, and, and make them even more aware of the reality of you. God, let them look to the waves and wonder why. God, let them look to the mountains and wonder how. God, let them think about the good things in life and say, how in the world did this happen? So we might say, let me explain. God, we're so grateful that you love us and that you're, you're calling the entire world back to yourself, that they might know you and believe and be saved. God, that, that not, not that they would leave everything they care about in the past, but God, they would carry that with them into a brave, bold new future with you. And so God, we ask even now that our 5% might be six, that our six might become seven, until, God, we reach critical mass to be able to love our community into submission. God, that the world might look at us as people that love well and have no choice but to say yes. So, God, we ask that you give us courage, give us steadiness. God, give us discipline. Give us a passion to be together so the world might know so the world might come and see what you're really like. So God, it's in your name, the name of Jesus that is above all names, the humble king who leads us in grace and truth and your spirit that empowers us, God. It's in your name that we pray and we all said, amen. I love you.